welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 87. My name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well this week I've been playing Metroid Dread, the new 2D Metroid from Nintendo and Mercury Steam. And I've also been checking out Castlevania The Advance Collection. And I thought there's no better time to have a Metroidvania special considering these two recent releases. And I'm also going to be checking out Death's Gambit Afterlife, plus also Guacamelee 2, which is available on Xbox Game Pass for those looking for an alternative Metroidvania experience. Well, it's a busy show, so let's get to it! Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. Now I'm good this week, and over the past few weeks we've had a rare and a good thing, and that is a new Nintendo console release. So this is the OLED Nintendo Switch, and so far I'm really, really enjoying it. So my original Switch is creaking a little because it's coming up to four and a half years since it was originally released, so I'm very glad to get my hands on the new one, plus also Metroid Dread 2. I'll be bringing you my thoughts on the OLED Switch later on in the show, plus also a review of Metroid Dread. Well, today I wanted to kick off with a new feature where I read out a five-star review. So if you want to get featured on the This Week in Video Games podcast, leave a review and I'll read out on the show. Well, first up, this one comes from AppFan399. They say, great overview of what's going on in the gaming industry, and they left a five-star review. So thank you, AppFan. Really, really appreciate it, and I hope you're doing well. Well, if you want to leave a review, then check out your favourite podcast app. There's an easy link to review when you download the This Week in Video Games podcast. So check it out, leave a review, and I'll read out on the show. Well, before we get into the show, I wanted to plug the podcast Patreon. So you can send your questions and your stories for community questions by signing up to Patreon. So for as little as $2 a month, you can sign up to become a Patreon member. We can access exclusive Discord rooms, send in questions and comments to be read out on the This Week in Video Games podcast, and also you get access to exclusive content and early access too. There's plenty of benefits over there on Patreon, plus you get to support the show and help This Week in Video Games become a little bit more self-sufficient. Well, that is enough today for my waffly intro, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. So this week I've been playing Metroid Dread and oh boy, does this one live up to the hype. So episode 87 is a Metroidvania special, so paired up with Metroid Dread is going to be the Castlevania Advanced Collection. And in particular, Aria of Sorrow really caught my attention and that one totally holds up today. So slightly adjacent to these games is Death's Gambit Afterlife. That is a little bit more of a Souls-like game rather than a pure Metroidvania, but there definitely are some elements of Metroid and Castlevania in there too, so I would recommend that one. So I have been playing all of these games on the new OLED Nintendo Switch, and I'll be rounding up a review of each of them later on in the show. And then finally, to round out the Metroidvanias today, I've been back to one of the best found on Xbox Game Pass, and that is Guacamelee 2. So when you think of great Metroidvanias, you might think of Hollow Knight or maybe Axiom Verge, but Guacamelee 2 is right up there as well. I'll bring you my thoughts on that one later on in the show. But first of all today, it has been a long wait, but the wait has been worth it. Let's check out my review of Metroid Dread. Well, Metroid Dread has finally made its way onto Nintendo Switch after a surprise announcement earlier this year in 2021. So this has been put together by Mercury Steam on behalf of Nintendo, following on from the remake of the Game Boy's Metroid 2 back in 17. And that one was Samus Returns. So the last 2D Metroid we had before the remakes was Metroid Fusion back in 2003, 
So it's definitely a welcome sight to see Samus arriving onto Nintendo Switch in Metroid Dread, and I'm really happy to say that the game lives up to the hype. The focus for Nintendo fans in recent years has been Metroid Prime, whether they're asking about Metroid Prime 4 or asking about the long rumored Metroid Prime trilogy rumored for the Nintendo Switch. So a new 2D Metroid wasn't really on the cards, although there had been talk of Metroid Dread since about 2007, that talk had been dampened into quiet whispers in recent years. So then, Nintendo comes along at E3 2021 and drops the major announcement that a new 2D Metroid would in fact be coming to Nintendo Switch. Not only that, but it'd be coming in a few months, launching on October the 8th, alongside the new OLED Nintendo Switch. Well, Metroid Dread launched against the backdrop of multiple good Metroidvanias out there in the market, including Hollow Knight, Dead Cells and Axiom Verge. So, after playing through Metroid Dread, I'm partially relieved and also overjoyed to say it can live up there with the best of them and it instantly jumps into my personal top 5 games of 2021. Well, Metroid Dread is the direct sequel to Metroid Fusion and the fifth Metroid game as part of the 2D series. And this is Nintendo at their very, very best, adding a AAA gloss onto a tried and tested Metroid formula and it all adds up to a really, really enjoyable game. So it's a 2D game, but there are 3D cutscenes and Samus looks and acts just so damn cool, it's hard not to be impressed at every turn. You've got the detail of the environment, Samus's animations, the movement speed and variety of weapons, abilities and enemies to battle, plus the hard-as-nails bosses, which feels very un-Nintendo at times. The setting for the game is Planet ZDR and Samus has been sent to the planet to investigate the return of a familiar species in the X-Parasite. However, it quickly transpires she's been led into a trap and Samus is trapped way below the surface and your objective is to make your way back to your ship. Well, the environments range from labs, industrial factories, ridden with killer robots, you've got your lava levels, ice levels, all filled with an abundance of atmosphere. Now, this may be the direct sequel to Metroid Fusion, but it's channeling Super Metroid in all the best ways possible. Now, given Samus has been stripped of her abilities, you have to gather these back on your journey to the surface. And the tools at Samus's disposal include the cloaking device, various upgrades to her hand cannon, the grappling hook, the morph ball, complete with bombs as well. Plus, you've got various suits to help you through hot and cold environments. So all the classic Metroid abilities are here. One criticism of Metroid Red could be that all the abilities are well known, but when they're executed this well in this quality package, then it is really hard to complain. So in terms of look and feel, atmosphere, movement speed, this has all the ingredients to go down as one of the all-time great Metroid hits. So one of the biggest features of the game are the ME robots. So these are droids that were sent to Planet ZDR to initially scout out on a rescue mission, although somewhere along the line they've been reprogrammed as hostile to Samus by someone or something. So, so these ME robots definitely don't mess about. If they catch you, they are very, very likely to kill you. So there's a small window of opportunity to smack them in the face and run away. But much like a person fighting a great white shark, there's about a 99% probability of death. Well, Emmys, they're sectioned off into their own zones on the map. And there's seven of them dotted throughout the game. And each one gets harder and harder as you progress. So the only way to kill an Emmy is to blast it in the face with the Omega Cannon, a power that you receive from defeating a mini-boss. So first of all, you have to melt off the outer plating, and once that's gone, it's a quick blast to the face, and then they are dead. So this is much easier said than done, and some of them are particularly difficult. So saying that, 
These are some of my favourite encounters in Metroid Dread, especially when you use the cloaking device. So the enemies, they come really close like a stalking killer predator, and you have to hold your breath and wait it out, hoping your cloaking device doesn't fail you at the last moment. Your journey through the map and the zones is punctuated by encounters with the Emmys, but you do get to be teleporting back and forth from different zones on a regular basis. And the Metroid Dread level design is very clever, and you always nudge forward in the right direction. You've got this feeling of a vast, wide-open space to explore, but you may be locked off by a small wall or another blocking element, which can only be opened up by another ability. And Dread does a great job of directing you without being too obvious about it. You know, really, it's masterful design. Samus appears to have a newfound attitude in this game, and she's never been more on form than here in Metroid Dread. So the slightly cocky move of the head when something is flying towards her face, or the swagger in which she navigates the levels. So there's a sense that Samus has seen all this action before, and she's going through the motions with confidence and skill, rather than the previous outing in Other M, where her fear showed rather a little bit too much. So, so there's moments here when the camera pan zooms close to her face, revealing widening eyes, but otherwise, Samus seems to take everything in her stride. She's cool, she's calm, and she's very, very collected. Samus's movement speed is something to behold in this game, and perhaps takes inspiration from other games in the genre, like Ori and Hollow Knight, which are great examples of fast and fluid movement. So that's where legacy Metroid games fall down a little bit compared to the speed of today's games. But here in Dread, Samus almost glides across the screen with absolute pure speed. You know, she's got a very satisfying slide move, which you're going to need to get the hang of to get away from the Emmys. Well, there has been a bunch of criticism that Metroid Dread has been too hard. But personally, I quite like the challenge. You know, it felt not very Nintendo-like to produce a game like this. Plus, other games in the Metroidvania space, they are just as tough, if not even harder. So the Emmys add an extra edge to the gameplay, one that sends your pulse racing on numerous occasions. Well, overall, Metroid Dread has delivered on the promise of what a 2D Metroid could be on Nintendo Switch. This is by far the best outing for Samus in 20 years, and in my book comes close to what Nintendo had achieved with Super Metroid. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed my playthrough, but for it to be an all-time classic, it does require another couple of times through the game. For now, though, this is a hugely satisfying gaming experience, with Nintendo taking inspiration from the Metroidvania market and then going above and beyond. You know, my expectations have been met and then exceeded, and if you've got a Nintendo Switch, then you should definitely be playing this game. Well, the developer was Nintendo and Mercury Steam. It was published by Nintendo, and it's available on the Nintendo Switch, and originally released on the 8th of October, 2021. Well, that is it for my review of Metroid Dread. Absolutely fantastic game. And I reckon it's up there in my top five games of the year of 2021. We'll wait and see what happens at the end of the year. But Metroid Dread, absolutely fantastic. Well, next up, let's have a word from our sponsors. Support for This Week in Video Games is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. And Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lorma 4.0, all across Europe. Join 2 million men worldwide who already trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. And it's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with a code TWIVG at manscaped.com. So I'm one of the first few people to try the 4.0, and to be honest, I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and the details on the 4.0. They're definitely next level. 
So trimming downstairs is something that women have been doing for years, but for us men, it's a relatively new concept. But trust me, your significant other is going to thank you for that care and attention you're giving yourself through the Lawnmower 4.0. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage in travel lock and it also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Well, the Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customise your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. Well, did I mention the wireless charging? Well, the new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help the battery length last even longer. Well, it's time to get your own ball and hair body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice smooth boys. We well, can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TWIVG at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TWIVG. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Well, that is a little word there from Manscaped. But next up, let's check out my review of the Nintendo Switch OLED model. Nintendo launched their new and improved version of their wildly successful Nintendo Switch console on the 8th of October, and this one is called the Nintendo Switch OLED model. So the main benefit here is focused on the screen, so if you mainly play Nintendo Switch in handheld mode, then you're probably going to see the most benefit. But Nintendo has iterated with their handheld consoles before, and this one is a massive improvement for the Nintendo Switch. Well, first up today, let's have a look at the specs of the console. So as for the size, it's 9.5 inches long, 0.55 inches deep, it's 4 inches high, and that is including the Joy-Cons. So looking at the screen, this is 1280 by 720 resolution with a 7-inch OLED screen. Looking at the CPU, it's an NVIDIA Tegra processor, and in terms of storage, it's got 64GB, and you have got a card slot for a micro SD card, and that supports additional memory. For the resolution, it's 1920 by 1080 docked and 1280 by 720 undocked. And looking at the audio output, you've got 5.1 CH PCM output. It's got a USB-C port. And in terms of the battery, it's a lithium-ion battery that lasts somewhere between 5 and 9 hours. Well, next up, let's have a look at what we got in the box. So we've got the Nintendo Switch console. We've got the Joy-Cons. You've got straps that come with those as well. You've got a high-speed HDMI cable. You've got the dock, and that comes with a new LAN port. You've got the Joy-Con grip, and you've also got the AC adapter. Well, the main feature of the new OLED model Nintendo Switch is the screen, and it is a very, very beautiful thing. Plus, it is slightly bigger than its predecessor as well. You know, games now pop out the screen with beautiful colours and great definition. Plus, you can hold the Switch at any angle, and you can still see what's going on in the game. Well, first of all, let's have a look at that screen. So the upgraded OLED screen really makes the game stand out. So, so far, I've mainly been playing Metroid Dread, given it came out on the same day, but I've since played Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey 2, and they both look incredible. So the screen still outputs at 720p, so even though it is still 720p, it feels better, which does sound odd, but I did compare my original Switch next to the OLED Switch, and the difference is absolutely huge. So the new screen is also slightly bigger with a 7-inch display and roughly 0.8 inches larger than the original Switch. 
So when you look at the numbers, it doesn't really sound like much at all. But when you have a look at the switches side by side, the difference is real and is there for everyone to see. So there's a few practical applications too. Like if you've got Super Mario Maker 2 or Game Builder Garage, a bigger screen means more control. And also overall, the switch feels a little bit heavier and it has that real feel and sense of quality. So another nice improvement with this new model switch is the improved audio. And it's got new speakers, so it provides richer sounds if you enjoy playing your switch on the go or on the couch or maybe in bed. This is really, really useful. Also, we've got a better kickstand. So the new kickstand is much more robust on the OLED Nintendo Switch and now extends along the whole bottom of the Switch and feels much more sturdy. So I was always scared that mine was going to break on the original Switch, but this feels much more robust. So I did a lot of traveling on a plane and often go out on the Nintendo Switch. So I'll definitely be looking forward to getting that new OLED Nintendo Switch next time I go on a plane. We also have some other upgrades too. So the dock has been improved with a new LAN port. So for those who like to play at home connected to a TV and preferred a wired experience, then now you can do so with the LAN port. So this is particularly good if you play Smash or if you want to download games faster. So I'm super lucky here to have really fast broadband and my wireless router performs pretty well. But it is really good to have that LAN port and it is a nice little upgrade. The OLED switch also comes with 64 gigabytes of internal storage, which is more than the original switch. So this means more room for your games and also your save files too. So the original was 32 gigabytes. So this one is a really welcome upgrade. So in summary, the Nintendo Switch OLED model is the definitive best version of Nintendo Switch out there at the moment, but it especially caters for those who like to play undocked while sitting on the couch in bed or maybe even traveling around. So the headline act of this machine is the new screen and the game's pop with color and vibrance that is gonna take some getting used to and immediately your entire Nintendo Switch catalog is improved in handheld mode. It's not the Switch Pro that everyone thought it might be, but it is a decent upgrade, especially if you own a base Nintendo Switch from 2017. So, so if you mainly play the Nintendo Switch docked, then I would probably recommend waiting out for a new Nintendo Switch but Nintendo has denied anything like that is in production, but they have said that before about in-development kits, so we're just going to have to wait and see. But for now, the Nintendo Switch OLED model is the business, and if you're thinking about buying a Nintendo Switch, then I definitely recommend checking this one out. So the developer is Nintendo, it's available for £309.99, and the release date was the 8th of October 2021. Well that is it for my review of the Nintendo Switch OLED model. Really, really having fun with that one, especially with Metroid Dread. It just looks so good. Well, next up today, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. So at 10 this week, up one place from last week's number 9, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. At number 9 this week, up one place from last week's number 10, it's Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. At number 8 this week it's a new entry and this is Super Monkey Ball, Banana Mania. Then at number 7 this week holding steady it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. At number 6 this week down one place from last week's number 5 it's Minecraft. And then at number 5 this week it's another new entry it's Alan Wake, Remastered. At number 4 this week down two places from last week's number 2 it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And at number 3 this week it's a new entry it's Metroid Dread. At number 2 this week it's another new entry, it's Far Cry 6. And then still in at number 1 it's FIFA 22. So congrats to the team from FIFA for staying in there at the number 1 slot. So it really does warm my heart to see Metroid Dread up there at number 3. I'm really hoping if Metroid has some good sales they will re-release some of the old games 
really, really want to play them on Nintendo Switch. We're talking about re-releasing old games. Well, next up, let's have a look at my review of Castlevania, the Advanced Collection. Well, the Castlevania Advanced Collection was announced during our recent Nintendo Direct, and this brings together some of the best titles in the series, with a focus on titles from the Game Boy Advanced, and in particular, Aria of Sorrow from 2003 is found on this collection, and it's almost worth the price of entry in itself. Well, Castlevania has been getting a retro revival over the past few years, and this Castlevania Advanced Collection follows on from the 2019 Castlevania Anniversary Collection. So this most recent collection has a particular focus on the entries from the Game Boy Advance, plus you've got a SNES version of Dracula X, which is a nice little addition. So in the package, you've got the Circle of the Moon from 2001, you've got Harmony of Dissonance, that's 2002, you've got the Aria of Sorrow, that's 2003, and then you've got Dracula X, and I believe that came out in the mid-90s on the SNES. So first of all, let's have a look at the Circle of the Moon, that one is from 2001. So this one was originally released at the launch of the Game Boy Advance all the way back in 2001 and rather than Simon Belmont, the main protagonist of the game is called Nathan Graves. This one was produced by the same Konami team that worked on the Nintendo 64 Castlevania titles and one of the main features of Circle of the Moon is the dual setup system or DSS where two cards can be combined for improvements to weapons and stats and summons and to gather these cards you have to track them down from various enemies in the game as they are random drops, so it is an early iteration of randomised loot, which we see in many games today like Borderlands and also Destiny. It's a decent title, although the movement speed of the main character is a little bit slower than you might want, so these days, Metroidvanias, they're full of speed, fluid movement, tend to be fast, so going back to this title was a little bit jarring. So the graphics, they're great for an early Game Boy Advance title, and also the soundtrack is excellent too. The bosses, well, they are pretty tricky at times, but overall, this is a very solid Castlevania entry. Well, next up we got the Harmony of Dissonance, and this one came out in 2002. So this one is much closer to the look and feel of Symphony of the Night, which is widely regarded as one of the best Castlevania titles. The main protagonist here is Just Belmont, who's part of the first family of Castlevania, the Belmonts. So in regards to the story, Just's romantic interest has been stolen in Dracula's castle, and it's down to you to save the day. Well, the game is much brighter and more vibrant than the previous entry, and perhaps a little bit too much on a modern Nintendo Switch screen. This could be because of the graphical restrictions of the Game Boy Advance, and back then you had a very small and low-res screen, so in terms of the gameplay, things have definitely moved on from Circle of the Moon with the complex enemies, and there's a couple of castles to explore. However, they do feel a little bit similar, although that is looking through the lens of today, which is perhaps a little bit unfair. So, so the controls and the character movement this time around are much better. It feels faster and more fluid, which is a massive improvement over Circle of the Moon. So overall, I'd say it's an average Castlevania adventure, with a few things like graphics, audio and environments letting it down ever so slightly. Well, next up we've got the main event, and it's Aria of Sorrow. This one came out in 2003. And this is where the game director Koji Igarashi managed to recreate a lot of the magic found in Symphony of the Night. So this game is set in 2035 in Japan, and the main protagonist is Soma Cruz. The story is pretty unbelievable in that you find yourself inside a solar eclipse in Dracula's castle, and Soma controls much better in this game, plus also Soma has an array of melee weapons like knives and blades, which is a nice change-up for the Castlevania franchise. 
So Ari of Sorrow features a tactical soul system where Soma can absorb the souls of enemies when they are defeated. So this is really similar to the DSS system from Circle of the Moon, but it is much more effective. And Soma also has a health and magic meter combined into one this time, which self-regens, but it's also topped up when you pick up health items like hearts. The music is also fantastic in this game, and though this one is similar to Symphony of the Night, it never quite reaches those lofty heights. It's definitely one of the best games on the Advanced Collection by a long way, with the animations of the game feeling much more like a modern Metroidvania. Well, finally then, we've got Dracula X, and probably the less said about this one, the better. This was released on the SNES in 1995, and was based on the PC Engine game featuring Richter Belmont. However, this port is much worse than the original, due to the nature and the time of the release and the port, much of the branching levels, enemies and other playable characters have been removed, leaving a rather sad and bare-boned Castlevania experience. It's here in the collection, but that doesn't really mean you should play it. So also included in this package put together by M2 is a gallery of artwork and all the packaging, except for Dracula X on the SNES. You can select also different regional variations of the games, including European, North American and Japanese. The audio has also been improved with an option for high quality sound, and that fixes the distortion found in the originals. This is mainly due to the hardware limitations, and I'd say the improvements are minor. The rewind, pause and save functions are really useful, but these days they almost come as standard on these types of collections. Overall, Aria of Sorrow is probably worth the price tag here. You know, the previous games like Circle of the Moon and Harmony of Dissonance feel like iterations that lead up to Aria of Sorrow. All the games... And all the games are really, really tough, not very forgiving at all when compared to games of today. You know, you have to have cat-like reactions and take care with your energy as one false move and it's game over. You know, this is a great package for the fans of the Castlevania series. And it's really good to see the evolution of the games within the package. And for anyone wanting to go back and see where Metroidvanias came from, this is a great place to start. Well, the game was developed by M2, it was published by Konami, it's available for Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, PC and also Xbox One, and it was originally released on the 23rd of September 2021. Well, that is it for my review of the Castlevania Advanced Collection. Really, really good stuff, and also it's amazing that a Metroid and a Castlevania have been released so soon together, especially given the landscape of Metroidvanias out there at the moment. But talking of Metroidvanias, I've got another one for you. So this one is another decent one, recently released on Nintendo Switch. This one is Death's Gambit Afterlife. Well, Death's Gambit is a new Souls-like Metroidvania, a 2D side-scroller with plenty of style and horror weaved throughout the story. And on paper, this sounds like the perfect combination, but the game feels like it's missing something, Plus, it's definitely hampered by performance issues on Nintendo Switch in an otherwise enjoyable game. Well, Death's Gambit has an intriguing gothic story. It tells the tale of Sorin, a knight who was unfortunately killed, on a mission to Cyrodon, and Sorin has been taken away by the Grim Reaper. So Death then brings Sorin back to life to bring a balance of life and death to the world by destroying the source of the immortal being's power. So the story, it starts off strong, it never really gets going in the way that you'd want it to. Now, this essentially is made up of two types of games, Souls and Metroidvania. So the former has a rich history of environmental storytelling with artefacts you can find around the place, which manages to fill in the gaps of the story. 
So Death's Gambit does a good job with the storytelling, thanks to its flashbacks and dreams, and although the storytelling is welcome, sometimes the context could be misplaced and wasn't always 100% sure of what was going on. It may have been a matter of getting used to the characters and the narrative, but sometimes I just felt I lost my place in the story. Well, the visual style of Death Gambit is one of the strongest points of the game, so I am a sucker for the pixel art 16-bit style, but the sheer amount of detail here is really, really impressive. So this is a great-looking game and reminded me of another great pixel art hack-and-slash adventure from earlier in 2021 called Narita Boy. So Death Gambit is 16-bit in style, but there's a depth and quality to the pixel art rarely found, and this is perfect for this type of game. Well, the environments, much like the storytelling, they're gothic and they're bleak, but they're also not a major strong point of the game. So whereas a game like Metroid Dread would direct you through the landscape nice and easy here in Death Gambit, the levels feel fairly linear, with optional side paths with enemies to find and kill. So you can quite easily miss hidden paths that will lead you to an item or an upgrade, and if you do miss out on something, then progressing in the game is going to be much slower and harder on top of an already tough game. So it's probably not fair to compare this to something like Metroid Dread, which is the master of the genre, and also one half of the name Metroidvania. However, this is an example in the genre where sometimes you hit a brick wall and you don't really know what to do. So Death Gambit is a beautiful looking game with good combat and interesting story. However, sometimes it can feel lacking in terms of where to go and what to do. So ideally, the game should nudge you in the right direction. But sometimes in Death Gambit, you'll come across a massive increase in difficulty, which feels a little bit out of place. So Death Gambit does direct you, but often you're directed into the path of really higher difficulty rather than slowly ramping it up, allowing the player to hone their craft before hitting the big difficulty spike. Although the game looks like a Metroidvania, it probably shares more DNA with a Souls game. So the platforming, the 2D visuals, remind me of the best of Castlevania. However, the combat and the undirected nature of the game definitely feels more Souls-like. For example, Sauron's attacking and blocking are limited by an endurance meter, which means you can't necessarily rush into battle, otherwise you're going to get creamed nice and quickly. Well, combat in Death Gambit feels really satisfying, with different weapons mixing up the combat style, so fighting in the game does require some precision, and some of the weapons are better than others for this, but there are a decent array of weapons, and if you don't like one in particular, then switch things up and see how you get on with something else. As you progress through the game, you're going to level up Sorin and his abilities, mainly adding new strength capabilities, allowing you to be more effective in combat. Well, one thing that felt a little bit lacking was the ability to bolster your defences. So on one hand, this teaches you to be cautious in battle, although as you progress up through the levels, it can feel like your power is being a little bit hampered. So yes, you can strike harder, but you still feel like you're using a paper shield when enemies attack you. So after defeating an enemy, you're going to earn shards, and these in turn are used to level up Sorin, or they're used with various shopkeepers, which did remind me a little bit of Hollow Knight. Well, Sorin carries around Phoenix Plumes, and they are used to heal yourself. So Sorin can only use this ability a couple of times, and then the meter can be refilled when you find a Statue of Death. So as well as healing, Phoenix Plumes serve as a method for getting stronger too. For example, if you reach a Statue of Death, and you haven't used your Phoenix Plumes, then these can be traded to make yourself stronger, which is a nice twist on the regular formula. So this is one of the times where Death Gambit does an excellent job on a tried and tested gameplay mechanic. In summary, Death Gambit is an interesting Souls-like Metroidvania with plenty of ambition, but unfortunately it lacks a little bit in the execution. 
The visuals are stunning and the gameplay is fun and engaging for the opening hours. Unfortunately, this fades away as you get deeper into the game, and I can really see what the developers were trying to do here, but unfortunately it's not quite pulled off, and the game is let down a little bit with unsatisfactory performance on Nintendo Switch. So I recommend if you're going to play this, I would play it either on the PS4 or on the PC. Metroidvania genre is filled with absolute gems, so the competition is strong, and unfortunately Death's Gambit doesn't quite measure up to its competitors. Well, the game was developed by White Rabbit, it was published by Serenity Forge, it was released on PlayStation 4, Nintendo Switch and PC, and I reviewed it on Nintendo Switch, it was originally released on the 14th of August 2018. But as I mentioned before, it recently came out on the Nintendo Switch. Well, that is it for my review of Death's Gambit Afterlife. It's a little bit of a shame about that one, but if you like Souls like Metroidvanias, I reckon it's worth giving it a shot and seeing what you think. Well, that is it for my review of Death's Gambit, but next up, let's check out another Metroidvania, and this one is Guacamelee 2. Guacamelee 2 is the follow-up to the 2013 original, and this is one of the better Metroidvanias out there, pulsing with personality from its characters, as well as offering up fast and responsive gameplay. There's plenty of new features in the sequel, and this builds upon an already good game, and this sequel might be even better. Well, often in games, you have a catch-up cutscene or a sketch to let you know what happened in the original, but not in Guacamelee 2. Here, you fight a boss immediately, which provides a nice catch-up mechanic on the story of the previous game. There's a funny line once you're done with it, with one saying, I remember this being a little bit harder, and it certainly was. Now fast forward seven years and one is retired with his wife and two kids and he's staring wistfully at his old posters while the kids run around his house and his wife is making dinner. He's asked to go to the market and pick up some avocados for dinner so off he pops to get the ingredients but unfortunately the local monk has bought them all. You have to go to him and ask to borrow some but upon leaving the church you're beckoned through a portal to help save the world from a threat from another dimension. Well, this is where you get your first nod to other games with a quick jump into a dimension like the game Limbo within the dark, scary forest. So jump through the portal. So jump through the portal and you even have that famous spider crawling down the side of the screen, ramming its pointy foot into the ground just after one escapes. And then you jump into a world similar to Final Fight or Double Dragon within a pixel art side-scrolling beat-em-up of days gone by. Dimension hopping is central to Guacamelee 2, and this collection of dimensions are known as the Mexiverse, and this provides an array of environments and allows the developer to get creative with their mechanics, the characters, and also the environments too. At the game's core, it's a Metroidvania, but much like the callback in the early minutes of the game, there are elements of Streets of Rage and other scrolling beat-em-ups like Turtles in Time, and also The Simpsons due to the combat style. So for example, you can punch and rush, plus there's some nice combos to be had as well. Well, the animation is slick and the controls feel responsive, plus the developers aren't too shy to throw in a joke or two on your journey, and this all adds up to a very enjoyable experience throughout. So staying true to the Metroidvania genre, there's branching exploration, and you can gather power-ups to get to new places. You know, other players can hop into co-op too, but it can get a little bit hectic with other players, so I would recommend playing at least once through as a single player, and then testing out the co-op mode if you want to. You know, when there's more than one player on screen at any one time, things do get a little bit out of control, plus the game does get much easier too, and I reckon the best experience I had was playing the game solo. 
Well, Guacamelee 2 nods to retro gaming through its beat-em-up mechanics, so, and some may turn their nose up at scrolling beat-em-ups. However, that genre represents some of my best memories in gaming, playing arcades like the original Turtles, The Simpsons, X-Men, and also Final Fight. Well, Guacamelee 2 nods to these games with its combat combos and array of punches and kicks, and it's really simple to pick up and play, and then tricky to master, which is exactly what you want, and the developers really should be applauded for the fluid nature of the game. So complementing the fighting system are the other components of the game, which is the platforming, and you could forgive the developer for spending much of their time on the combat mechanics, but they've also done a great job with the platforming elements too. This isn't on par with something like Celeste, which is my personal benchmark for platforming, but it's up there with a solid platforming experience. So there's a lot to enjoy about Guacamelee 2, however, there are some things to grumble about as well. As you get into the latter parts of the game, some of the platforming challenges can feel a little bit obnoxious, and the sheer amount of input the game is throwing at you in terms of enemies, moves, systems can feel a little bit relentless. And this game comes at you with pace, so it's worth bearing that in mind before you go in. There's a lot to take in and mechanics to learn. But Guacamelee 2 managed to combine great feeling combat and a decent platforming experience. And it's a game that can both frustrate and delight you in equal measures. But if you like Metroidvanias and you're looking for an enjoyable experience, then you shouldn't look past Guacamelee 2. So the game was published and developed by Drinkbox Studios. It's available for Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch and PC. It was originally released on the 21st of August, 2018. Well, that is it for my review of Guacamelee 2, but next up, let's have a look at some more recent games, and let's look at what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. So on the 18th of October, we've got Nuclear Blaze, and that one comes from the maker of Dead Cells, that's coming out on PC. On the 19th, then, we've got a few games. We've got Inscription, that's coming out on PC. We've got Into the Pit, that's Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One, and PC. Then on the 20th of October, we've got a few games. We've got Corpse Party, that's the Xbox Series consoles, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And we've got Grotto, that one's coming out on PC. We've also got Townscaper, that's coming out on iOS and Android. Then on the 21st of October, we've got a few more games. We've got Echo Generation, that's Xbox Series S and X, Xbox One and PC. We've got the Dark Pictures Anthology House of Ashes, that's PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One and PC. We've got Iron Harvest, that's coming on PS5 and Xbox Series S and X. And then also on the 26th, we've got Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, that's PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. We've got NASCAR 21 Ignition, that's PS4, Xbox One, and PC. And we've got Workshop Simulator. That's coming out on PC. And Super Robot Wars 30. That one is coming out on PC. Then on the 28th, we've got The Age of Empires 4. That one's coming out on PC. We've also got Dusk. That one's coming out on Switch. That one's coming out on the 28th too. Also on the 28th, we've got Fatal Frame, Maiden of Black Water. That's coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. And also, we've got Riders Republic. That's coming out on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, PlayStation 4, Xbox One Stadia, and also PC. Finally, on the 28th, we've got a great game. We've got Roki. That's coming to PS5 and Xbox Series S and X. Fantastic game, Roki. Played that one last year when it came out on Nintendo Switch. Really, really enjoyed that one. We've also got Voice of Cards, The Isle of Dragon Roars. That's PlayStation 4, Switch, and PC. And then finally, on the 29th, we've got Mario Party Superstars. That one's coming out on Nintendo Switch. 
Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions or your comments or your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'd love to read out your comments on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for listening and for more This Week in Video Games content like this. Subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description. You can follow me on Twitter at TWIVGPodcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again. I'll see you soon. Thank you.